Great summer. Terminator 2 Judgment Day had just came out, was crushing the box office. My parents were still married, and I was a puffy little kid who loved to go to the swimming pool and ride around on my bikes with my friends. So a typical day, I call John Mulhare, Curtis Brooks, I hop on my white Diamondback that I bought on layaway from uh, Coast to Coast Bikes in downtown Yankton, and we ride up 15th Street to Cork and Bottle, which is on the corner of 15th and Broadway, to buy some football cards. And, you know, buy a pack of tops, 25 cents, maybe you'd buy the upper deck, 50 cents, but they didn't have the gum in them. Then we would continue uh, westward, down 15th Street, big hill, over the railroad tracks, up the hill, to the 900 block, where we would knock on Gary Itt's door. So picture this, a couple 11-year-old kids knocking on a grown man's door to go into his basement. I know you're wondering, did your parents know? No. They didn't know. They didn't know. And in Gary's basement, he had a counter, and then he had a whole back room full of these mysterious football cards and baseball cards. And we would make offers to Gary it to secure our future. We would be looking for maybe like a Dan Marino rookie card. Dan Marino at the time was, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks. Or, or maybe, maybe you like this card right here, Brett Favre rookie card. And you're like, Brett Favre rookie card? That looks like he's on the Atlanta Falcons. You are correct. He was drafted by the Atlanta Falcons in, I believe it was 1991. And then he was quickly traded to the Green Bay Packers. And I was certain that all of these cards that I was buying were going to secure my wealth in the future. I have books, just like this, right here, full of cards, like this guy, Michael Jordan. Remember him? Remember Anthony Hardaway? No. I have his cards. I guarantee I bought them or traded for them. You know, Isaiah Ryder, he was going to be the next Michael Jordan, and I secured a number of his cards, and they are approximately worth five cents today. The key to the card collecting, though, was to have these very fancy plastic cases because what? Your cards had to be in mint condition. Kids today, they're like, oh, that is mint. And I'm like, you don't even know what mint is. <laughs> but things are certainly mint. I know you're wondering, how much do you have sitting up here in, in playing car, in football cards? About $25. <laughs> now, if I happen to have a Patrick Mahomes 2017 NFL Treasures autographed rookie card, I could have sold it in July for $4.3 million. <laughs> I just stopped too early. Or a 2000 Playoff Contenders Tom Brady Championship Ticket Autograph Rookie Card number 144 sold in June. Are we not excited about Tom Brady's return to New England today? where he's going to crush Bill Belichick and prove that it was him all along that made them who they were. $3.1 million for a piece of cardboard. 
for real. <laughs> Am I right? I don't have any of those cards. But what I do have is Hebrews chapter 7. We are still in chapter 7. And the writer of Hebrews says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law, the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We've been talking about this concept of Jesus as high priest for what feels like forever. <laughs> forever. The challenge is, when we come to the Bible, oftentimes we come with this Parker, Parker Schnabel mentality. Like, can we believe that Gold Rush is still a show? Like, seriously. Come on. We go and we're like, all right, we're going to go into this text and we're going to find a golden nugget. And it's going to change our lives by finding a golden nugget within the text, which, is, which isn't actually what the text is created for. God gives us his word as this story so that we can understand who he is and how he relates to humanity. We're not on a mining operation. Now, the writer of Hebrews is going to continue to drive home the point about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. One of the challenges is, is it's much like, um, remember when we used to fly on airplanes? And if you'd ever flown on an airplane before, you were basically an expert on airplane safety. And so when the flight attendants would get up to do their announcement, Good morning. Welcome to uh, flight whatever on Delta. Please uh, pay attention to the stewardess or flight attendant that we have in front of you. You remember that? And you're like, seriously, can we just get back to the movie that I want to watch? <laughs> we wouldn't even listen because we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, put the thing over your head, pull to inflate. If the cabin loses pressure, yada, 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 whatever, you pull down the mask. Now, this is like literally going to save your life. <laughs> save yourself before you save anyone else. Sometimes that's what it's like when we come to the text. We're like, yeah, I've heard this. I've heard all of this before. Let's get on to something new. <laughs> it's kind of hard to get on to something new in an ancient text. <laughs> Unless we look at it in a slightly different fashion. So as we come to this text this morning, it's going to sound extremely familiar. But my hope is that as we come, we don't come looking for a gold nugget. We come looking to hear what it is that God has for us and how he desires to communicate to us about this thing. And the writer says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Again, he's writing to a mainly Jewish context, so for them to have a high priest would have immediate connection for them. And for us, we're like, high priest what? 
Again, this high priest functions in this role to offer sacrifices to make the people right with God. The people screw up, they go about priests, the priest offers sacrifices, and the priest is a very key functioning role within the nation of Israel. And this is being written to folks who would know exactly what that is and how that functions. And so when we read it, we we miss out on the value of who the high priest is and how the high priest is functioning. And so the writer tells us who this high priest is, or better yet, the qualifications that makes this person a, the high priest. Holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and ab- exalted above the heavens. Now, it's, it's fascinating, right? Like if you were to fill out um, a job application, <laughs> hello, if you were maybe updating your resume because you were looking for a new job, you would want some of these qualifications. <laughs> holy, meaning set apart. Holy, meaning perfect. Holy, meaning Jesus. Innocent, unstained, without blemish. Now, the separated from sinners thing kind of makes us pause a little bit and say, what does that actually mean? Well, it's this idea that Jesus was unstained by the worldly sin that he encountered on a daily basis. He was set apart from that sin activity, exalted above the heavens meaning he exists above everything. These are the qualifications that Jesus brings into this role that he is going to play as high priest or has played as their high priest. He has no need, verse 27, like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The he here, again, is Jesus. He has no need to offer sacrifices daily. Now, the priests would go in and they would offer sacrifices twice a day. They would offer sacrifices in the morning, then they would offer sacrifices in the afternoon. And these uh, offerings would typically consist of some cereal grains and a goat. I mean, because what goes better with a bowl of grape nuts than a leg of goat? I mean, right? Can we ever travel overseas? You're like, this is the breakfast buffet. There's like salami and ham. And you're like, could I just get some pancakes? (laughs) So they would go in every single day to offer up these sacrifices. Because they were atoning for their own sins. They were offering for their own sins, but also for the sins of the people. And it's interesting because we've been talking about this a little bit on Wednesday nights in the book of Judges. But when we come to the text, we come from such an individualistic point of view. It's like me and God, me and God, whatever you do is on you, but it's about me and God. And that's not how it really has ever functioned. It's about the communal environment and communal aspect of how the people of God relate to God himself. And so the, high, the priest would go in and offer these sacrifices on behalf of all of the people, for themselves 
and then also for the rest of the people. Now, once a, once a year, the Day of Atonement, they would go in and offer the atoning sacrifice. And so we get a little bit of blending here of not only the Day of Atonement, but this ritual every day offering sacrifices every single day. Oftentimes, we don't even think of these concepts, but you know, in that same summer of 1991, we would go out to Wiki Up Cabins in Spearfish Canyon, and it used to be amazing because there were these old cabins that were built during World War II as this kind of training base. Homestead Gold Mine built them for the U.S. government, and so once it became no longer used for training the army, it became this kind of quasi-resort thing, and you could rent a cabin for $25 a night. I mean, how amazing is that? So my family and I went out there for years, actually for, for generations, and so we would go out there. And one of the great things about going to Wikiup Cabins was there was no plumbing. Yes, that's what I said. No plumbing. Oh, what did you do for water? There was a spigot out in the front yard, and we would love to do this. We'd go outside, we'd get the pail, we'd go outside, we'd fill the water bucket, we'd bring the water bucket back in, and we'd set the water, and if we wanted a drink, you would take a ladle. You're like, was this the 1800s? 1991. We loved it. There's no Airbnb, hot tub, all the... No, no. Log cabin, spigot out front, bathroom across the way. But every day we would have to go out and get water. If you're thirsty, you have to go get water. And then they ruined it. Homestead gold mine gets sold off. Resort company buys Wikiups, and they're like, we need to upgrade. No. You downgraded by putting water in the cabin. You say, how amazing is that? You just go to the sink turn on the water. No. What does that have to do with the sacrificial system? I told Scott before I came in, I hope I don't screw this up. The writer says, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Jesus, when he comes, his sacrifice is the end. It is the end of the need for sacrifices to be offered ever again. When the veil is torn within the Holy of Holies, it is the signature moment where Jesus says, I've got this. I've got this all taken care of. I mean, imagine that, going from day after day after day after day after, we're done. You don't have to go get water from a spigot in the front yard. It's just right there. When sin is committed, you don't have to go and offer sacrifices every single day. Jesus says, I've got this. I've got this. And just look at what is taking place here. Jesus, functioning as the high priest, does not have to offer sacrifice for his own sin. He doesn't have to do this. He does not have to do this. 
But what does he do? He offers himself. So the high priest becomes the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And I think how, how often we forget that. We forget the magnitude and the enormity that, of what Jesus does. So, I mean, just, let's just think about this and just kind of marinate in this place for, for even just a minute. Jesus is with God, is God, in heaven. He says, I'm going to come and take on a human form because I want to be with humanity. He lives this sinless life. Then he says, okay, we got to figure this sin sacrifice thing out. I'll go up there. I will offer myself up. And that will be the end. That will be the end of the need for sacrifices ever again. God creates a plan to send his son to get rid of this need for a daily sacrifice, to pave a way so that we can be in relationship with the God of the universe. And we don't have to do anything. All we have to do is accept this offering that he has placed before us. Jesus offers himself to be the end No more bloodshed, no more sacrifice, no more cereal grains in the morning and the evening, no more goats being sacrificed up. Because he wants to be in relationship with us. You're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Can we just take off so I can get back to watching my movie? I know we've heard this so many times. It's a little bit like the old Charlie Brown teacher. We're like, wah, 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 wah. Is there a way that we can hear this again in a new and fresh manner? And so when we look at the cross, when we look at this cross, what we're looking at is Jesus' offering of himself. One time. One time. So that we don't ever have to worry about the sin that exists in our lives ever, ever, ever again. And when we sit with that, it just becomes overwhelming. When we sit with and resonate on the magnitude of the love that God has for us, that Jesus Christ has for us, that he would come into this system and completely destroy the system by having his body destroyed. 
And it's fascinating because, again, on Wednesday night, we were just talking about this idea that the Israelites were, were being taught war over and over and over, and, and, and we speculate on why is it that war continued throughout the nation of Israel. And I just kept coming back to this thought that when you see bloody bodies in war, you remember the cost of that war. And oftentimes, we have sanitized the cross. Like, oh, no, that's kind of rugged. It's pretty clean. We have sanitized the cross to this point where we're like, ah, it's nice, it's pretty. No, (laughs) it's not pretty. It is horrific, it is gruesome, and it is the biggest, clearest sign that God loves us. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to get his audience and us to see and to realize and to comprehend this God that we are talking about, this God that we serve, has the biggest, deepest, most incredible love for us. That he was willing to endure these things He didn't have to do any of this. And yet, Jesus says, I will come and I will do this thing for you one time. We don't have to worry. We just have to accept the love that Jesus Christ has for us through this offering that he has made. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Who appoints a son. We often again miss that that Jesus is appointed as son. God chooses his son and appoints him to this place of death of death and resurrection, so that he can be in relationship with us. And I really did think that if I kept these Dan Marino cards in mint condition, perfect, unstained, I I was certain that I would be retiring at about 50 because the value would be so immense. And now they're worth literally pennies. And yet, we have this offering of Jesus Christ. The greatest security that we could ever have in our lives. That that at times we come so commonplace that we don't even hear it. And at other times, it seems like it's so far away that it's unattainable. And yet the writer of Hebrews keeps reminding us over and over and over. Jesus did this. Jesus wanted to do this for us. And he says that to us today, saying, you don't have to worry anymore about anything because I have got this taken care of. All you have to do is say yes to me 
and accept this offering of my life on your behalf. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We come to such a familiar concept. And yet, its familiarity oftentimes makes it more challenging than we realize. Holy Spirit, we just ask this morning that as we think about this passage and we think about the magnitude of the love of Jesus Christ for us. That while we were still sinners, he chose to come and to live a perfect life to offer himself up one time. One time. the grace and the mercy, Jesus, that you have offered to us. We do not take it lightly. And we cannot thank you enough. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in our lives so that our lives would be honoring to the gift of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to provide us with freedom and true life. In Jesus' name, amen.